Hey y'all, this is Charlie. We are living, loving, laughing, and grace. And we are also in our final Christmas episode uh, for this incredible word that the Lord has given us. And we're going to jump right back into it. Here we go. It says, so it's telling us Abraham was already a hundred years old. My friends, Abraham lived after the flood. You know, another reason to look at genealogies, go back and look at the genealogy of Abraham and you will find that most men were bearing children in their thirties, which means the women were in their twenties. I hear people all the time try to say, well, people lived to a different age back then, not in Abraham's age because he lived after the flood when men's lives had been limited, things changed. So it says he did not consider his own body already dead. So in the natural, it was dead in the natural. He could not have children anymore since he was about a hundred years old and the dentist of Sarah's womb, which was always dead. She was never able to have children. He did not waver. Listen to this. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Wow. Abraham's the man a hundred years old and he does not doubt that he's going to have a child. That's what that just told us. It says he did not waver in unbelief. Go to Genesis, I believe it's 16. When God comes to Abraham and tells him he's going to have a child, Abraham falls down on his face laughing in disbelief. He fell on his face laughing in disbelief. And he asks God at this point, he's already had the affair with Hagar, who brought forth Ishmael, who brought forth a lot of the trouble we still see in the world today. My friends, when we try to do things our own way is why we hold out for God's best. Hold out for God's best. Don't settle for less. So God comes to Abraham and tells him that he's going to have a child. And he's talking about Isaac and Abraham falls on his face, laughing in unbelief and says, God, would you bless Ishmael instead? That doesn't sound like faith. That doesn't sound like someone that didn't waver. Is the Bible confused? No, my friends, the Old Testament accurately records for us exactly what happened. In the New Testament, we see the way God sees us now. This account of Abraham is how God sees Abraham because you know, unbelief is a sin. It's a sin. Thank God it's a sin because it means we've been forgiven of it at the cross. Jesus blood washed away Abraham's unbelief and God won't even talk about it. Now he won't even talk about it. He doesn't remember it. He doesn't see it. What he sees is the day that Abraham and Sarah did believe in God and they received their child. The blood of God, the blood of Christ washed away all the unbelief. This is the new covenant child of God. This is you. Learn to see yourself the way God sees you. And this does not cause pride because we know it's not because of us. It's not that I'm so great. It's not that I don't make mistakes. It's that the blood of another, the sacrifice of another, the perfection of another has saved me has perfected me, has redeemed me out of my sins, has placed me in a state of perpetual favor before God Almighty. So you see, just as God did for Abraham and refusing to remember his sins, he did for these women and their genealogy of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, he doesn't want us to miss his grace that the whole reason Jesus came is because he saw man's history. He sees us for who we are and he understands how much we need a savior. 
And he also understands the power of his grace. Let's go back again to this one who had been the wife of Uriah. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. My friends, King David begot King Solomon through Bathsheba. King Solomon to date was still Israel's golden reign. The nation of Israel prospered under King Solomon more than any other king, more than any other time in their history. It's called Israel's golden era, Solomon's golden reign. So the very one where David fell the most, the Lord blessed him the most out of her. And we see this, Romans 5.20, play out in this very simple little scripture here. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded. My friends, sin abounded. David and Bathsheba committed adultery. David had Uriah killed. Sin abounded. But what happens when sin abounds? But where sin abound, grace abounded much more. God's grace abounded much more. God's grace abounded much more. My friends, by the time Solomon was born, David had many other sons who technically should have been first to the throne besides Solomon. But out of God's grace, Solomon became the next king. And then we see this coming to effect, my friends. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under law, but under grace. Ephesians 1, verse 4 says this, my friends, just as he chose us, Think of that. God chose you. God chose each of these women to be in the genealogy of his son. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before God even formed the world, he knew the sacrifice he would have to make to save it. And he still chose you, my friend. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. My friends, how is that possible? How can we be holy and how can we be blameless when we have so much sin, when we have so much shortcomings, when we have so many failures? Because Jesus Christ, because Christ came. That's exactly what we see here that the Lord will not even mention the atrocities and the sins that these women committed or, or that they are disqualified because of, of how they were born. He won't mention the curse because he chose you to be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. My friends, it is your father's good pleasure to save you, to make you holy and blameless, to bring you to himself as his children. 
to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. My friends, God himself has made you accepted before himself. How? In the beloved. I love this. It could have said in Jesus Christ. That's how we're accepted before God. That's how we can trust in it. That's how we can rest in it. I hope that you can see that from this genealogy here. That these women, I mean, like I said, go back and read their stories, my friends. We, I guess even just between Tamar and Judah, we saw vengeance and deceit and lust and adultery and conniving and selfishness and anger and all this mess. And yet God says, because of the sacrifice of his son, he has made them both holy and blameless. They are both his children. They are accepted to him in his beloved. Which means what, my friend? It means you are his beloved. He's accepted you in his beloved. Therefore, you are his beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Say we have redemption. We have redemption through his blood. You're not trying to get it. You have it. The forgiveness of sins. You have redemption through his blood. blood. You have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Not according to your background, not according to where you came from, like Ruth. Not according to what you've done or haven't done, like all the others. According to his, the riches of his grace. My friends, we cannot measure the riches of God's grace. We can't fathom the riches of God's grace. And that is the basis for your forgiveness. You have been forgiven according to the riches of of his grace. These women were so forgiven. They have now been honored for 2,000 years plus to get to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because of something special they did? No, because God chose them. Just like he has chosen each and every one of you. Listen to this, my friends. In John 1, 14 through 17, it tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is the God's glory, my friends? His grace and truth. Where does truth belong? On the side of grace. It's that Jesus came and we got to behold the glory of the Father full of grace and truth. I hear a lot of people trying to separate grace and truth. They say things like, yes, it's great to have grace, but you have to have the truth. No, my friends, the grace of God is the truth of God. Truth and grace go together. John bore witness of him and cried out, this is John the Baptist, bore witness of Christ and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, of Christ's fullness, we have all received and grace 
for grace. In the Greek, you know, that's a continual action. You could say we have all received grace for grace for grace for grace for grace. You know what that means? It means you use some grace and then there's some more coming right after it. You use that grace and there's more grace. You use that grace and there's more grace. Take from the Lord, my friends. Take of his grace. Take and take and take of his grace. And there will always be more grace coming behind that. We can't exhaust it like the ocean, my friends, like the waves coming in off of the ocean. One wave comes in and then another wave and another wave and another wave. You can't hardly tell where one wave starts and the next one stops. That's the grace of God. It comes in wave after wave after wave after wave, my friends. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. And it tells us, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Again, my friends, grace and truth go together. This is what I want you to see. God looked at mankind. We see in his own genealogy every reason for God to condemn us, to judge us, to punish us, to give up on us. I mean, right here and just before, we have murder, we have adultery, we have lying, we have stealing, we have anger, we have vengeance. They're obviously putting other things ahead of God, my friends. We broke all ten of the, of the Ten Commandments right here. And God's response is His grace. His response is He so loved the world, He gave His one and only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For His Son did not come to condemn the world. My friend, if He wanted to condemn the world right here, we don't get past chapter 1 of Matthew. Chapter 1, page 1 of the New Covenant. And we're done. If he'd come to condemn us, but he came to save us. So that's four, four of our leading ladies. How many ladies are listed in the genealogy of Jesus? Five. What is five, my friends? Five is the number for grace. All throughout the Bible, we see that five is the number for grace. And when we get to the fifth lady, we find, my friends, that she also found grace. We're going to skip down through the rest of the genealogy to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Notice again a change in the wording. Before it was always, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David. Now we have, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, not and Joseph begot Jesus, because Joseph did not beget Jesus. God the Father beget Jesus. Jacob beget Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, of Mary was born, Jesus, who was called Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. My friends, we're going to now look. I want to show you where we see that Mary received the grace, the fullness of the grace of God. As we said before, all these women have their shortcomings, including Mary. Don't turn her into an idol. She wouldn't even want that. You know, even after Jesus had um, began his ministry, you know, Mary had to let go of being his earthly mother. And even Mary had to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, my friends. 
And there were even times where Mary put her own agendas ahead of Jesus' ministry. In and of herself, she was no more perfect than any of the rest of us. So why was she chosen to be the mother of Jesus? Luke 1, 28, and entertaining, and entering, or entertaining, entering the angel to her said, Hail one receiving grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, it probably sounds a little strange because I read it from the interlinear because it really brings out the, the um, action, the way that this was spoken. So I'm going to read it to you again. So this is talking about when the angel comes and lets Mary know that she's going to become pregnant and listen to his greeting to her. And entering, the angel to her said, Hail one receiving grace. Hail one receiving grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Not blessed are you above women. Blessed are you among women. But listen to this. Hail one receiving grace. To receive grace, my friends, what does that mean happen first? It was given. It was given. God is always giving his grace. He is giving and giving and giving his grace. And you know what Mary did? She received it. Receive his grace today, my friends. Listen to this. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the transgression of the one, that's talking about Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. Those who receive what? The abundance of grace. My friends, grace is something we can keep receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving. Just as we just read in John chapter 1, that of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace for grace for grace. My friends, it's never ending. We can continuously receive of the grace of God, just like Mary received of the grace of God. And she gets to be the mother of Jesus. Listen, this is what happens. For those who constantly receive of the grace of God, you receive of the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Listen, my friends, righteousness is a one-time gift you receive once and for all. You cannot be more righteous. You cannot be less righteous. Because when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive his righteousness. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. It is something you become. So you can't have more or less of it. So it tells you to receive the gift of righteousness. But grace, you can receive more and more and more of God's undeserved favor, his unmerited favor in your life. And this is what it says happens for those that do. They shall reign in life. They shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. My friends, when you reign in life, your sicknesses don't. When you reign in life, your weaknesses don't. When you reign in life, strife and poverty and depression, all those things don't. Receive afresh every day of the abundance of God's grace and reign in life. It tells us in Peter that grace and peace being multiplied to you. Did you know that grace and peace can be multiplied to you? How? It tells us how. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
every time you come here, my friends, and you are listening about Jesus, you are growing in your knowledge of Jesus, grace and peace is being multiplied to you. You are receiving of the abundance of grace. When you come to the word and you and you look for Jesus, you are receiving of the abundance of his grace. Every time you go to church and listen to a, a sermon from your pastor, when you, when you sing worship music that's just full of Jesus and all that he's done for us, grace and peace are multiplied to you, my friends. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Hallelujah, my friends. Hallelujah. Right here from the beginning, we see the beauty of God's grace. We see that nothing, sin cannot stop his grace from coming. Sin cannot hold back his love. Instead, his love and his grace wash over the sin and transform what was a sinful situation into super abounding grace. We see lives transformed, set free, healed, delivered, my friends. For us today, we reign in life through this very one who came for us. From the beginning, my friends, it's always been about his love for us, his grace to us, his faithfulness to us. Right here, when I see what's going on in these lives and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and yet he still chose to come. In fact, that's why he chose to come, my friends. We see right here the very expression of his love and faithfulness. One last scripture, and I'll let you go. First John 4.10 And this is love, not that we loved God. You could go through Every one of these names, my friends, and find failings, find shortcomings, find sin. And God in his grace made sure to highlight it for us so we wouldn't miss it, my friends, so that we wouldn't disqualify ourselves. So we would understand that he came to qualify us. He is the qualifier. He came to save us. He came to qualify us. And he's not pretending we're something that we're not. He sees us right in our mess, my friends. He steps into our mess and he takes our mess and he turns it into a message of hope and salvation for other people around us. That's what he does. He takes the, the bad, the dirty, the ugly, the good, all of it, and he works it together for our good. First John 4, 10, and this is love, not that we love God. That's what we can say. If we truly love God, we would never sin. If we loved him 100%, the best of them, as we see here, failed. David, who was called a man after God's own heart, he failed. You see, God made sure that we saw that too. So that we get this is not based on us. The more we can understand that, my friends, the more security and confidence we will have in our relationship with him. When we can see through his eyes just how black and dark and messy our hearts are, our lives are, before Jesus enters in, then we can grasp how much he loves us, how much he's done for us, how, how perfect that is, how we cannot lose relationship with him because it was all based on him to start with. He chose us. 
We were so lost in ourselves and our sins, my friends. We didn't even know that we needed a Savior. So the Savior gave us the light and the wisdom to see that we needed saving. He chose us. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. My friends, that is the heart of Christmas. That is the heart of Christmas. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen, my friends. Amen. A merry, merry, blessed Christmas to you. My friend, if you are listening today and you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, would you take that opportunity right now, my friends? It does not matter what you have done, how far you think you have fallen, how dark you think your life is. As you have just heard, that's exactly why Jesus Christ came to save us, to bring his light into the darkness, my friends, to save us because he loves you. Would you just say this prayer with me right now? Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that at the cross, you took all my sins. You were punished with them, judged with them. God remembered every one of my sins in you. And you were buried when you died. And the third day you rose again, proclaiming that I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am on favor ground. I am forever a beloved child of God. God, you are now my father and heaven is my home. In Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, my friend. Welcome to the family of God. This is what Christmas is all about. The greatest gift of all given to us, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation, the gift of his grace, his abundant grace and righteousness that each and every one of us now, my friends, can reign in life. I pray that you do reign in life. I declare that you receive of the abundance of God's grace and rest in that gift of righteousness. You have rest in the security of knowing you are his beloved. He chose you. He fought for you. He died for you. He redeemed you. He washed you clean. He forgave you. He made you his. You are in the beloved, a beloved child. Amen, my friends. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And again, my friends, a very, very Merry Christmas to you and all your loved ones. I pray that you uh, shall be blessed. Have wonderful celebrations. Enjoy our Jesus. Enjoy your families, my friends. And we will see you next year in 2024. All right, y'all. Till then, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.